this series that we are beginning today called The Word Is Out. And generally when we use that phrase, uh, what we mean is that we're saying, you know, something's not a secret anymore. In some ways, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. It's not a secret. When we say the words out, it can, you know, mean a few different things. Like, on one hand, it could be a good thing. Like, when you say the word is out, like this, this restaurant, you know, the word is out about this restaurant. I used to be able to come here by myself. Now I can never get a seat. Um, it's a great thing for the restaurant. It could be a bad thing, though, because, like, in, in my case, like, I like to go to coffee shops when nobody knows about them when I can like not be bothered and just have my space. And then when the word gets out about it, that other people like it, and then it's like I can never get in there. Uh, honestly, it's that same swing of emotions between the extremes of, of good and bad that we really feel during this time of year. And I, I wonder if you can relate. Because as we enter into Christmas time, like on one hand, Christmas is an exciting time. I love the decorations. I love the music, I love the food, I love the festivities, I love the gifts, I love the gifts. But on the other hand, you know, there's crowded schedules, there's increased activities, there's increased demands, there's greater expectations. And to take it even a little bit further, sometimes the merriment of the season can only serve to magnify what's missing in our lives. You know, what we don't have or who's not there, or that expectation that goes unmet. And if you've ever felt the tension between Mary and melancholy, well, I, I want to use today, I believe it's going to be helpful for you, because I, I'm going to use two passages of Scripture to give you a practical step that you can take, regardless of whatever situation you find yourself in this holiday season in this next year. And on the surface... Like, neither one of these passages that we look at is going to strike you as a Christmas text. Because when we think of the Christmas story, when, when we think of Christmas in the Bible, generally what happens is we, we think of one of the Gospels. We turn to the Gospels, the beginning of the Gospels, particularly the synoptic Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The, these are synoptic, just means all from the same perspective. We turn to the beginning of these, and th those are the places where we get, like, you know, the birth of Jesus, that's where we see an angel appear to Mary, or we see, you know, an angel uh, appear to Joseph, or we, we see, you know, the wise men come, or the, the shepherds in the field, or, you know, the star in the sky. We see those different things. But where I want to look is in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, it's a little bit different. Uh, John's account of the Christmas story is a little bit more bare bones, like, like, John doesn't start with a prophecy. John doesn't start with an angel or shepherds or wise men. John doesn't even have a baby when he talks about the Christmas story. Uh, John's gospel doesn't have any of the things that we're used to. There's no stable, no manger, no angel, no Joseph or Mary, no Bethlehem, no shepherds, no wise men, no star, no baby. You see, John starts... At the very beginning, I want to read it to you in John chapter 1, verse 1. This is what he says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. See, when, when John wants to introduce us to Jesus, he doesn't do like the other gospel writers and take us to Ancestry.com. He 
He starts at the very beginning and he says, before there was the beginning, there was the word. And I want to look at verse 14 today because it's really the foundational verse for this series that we're going to be in for the next couple weeks. 1 John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is really Christmas in a nutshell. When we talk about God incarnate, that word incarnate, it's like flesh, God in the flesh. You might think of carnivore. God in the flesh, God incarnate, the word became flesh. And John wants us to know that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning, Jesus was with God. Jesus always was God. Jesus took on flesh. This is the Christmas message that John wants you to get. And I know it seems a little deserted of the details that we're usually used to. But before you think you can't have Christmas without a cradle, I want to use this bare bones text to help flesh out some of God's truth in your life. So I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes, a word for your world. A word for your world. Now, it's always my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word because I know I need God's help when I get up here. I don't just ever want to be up here speaking out of my own mind. So would you just bow your head with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time we open up your word, you speak. So, God, we ask that you would do it again, that you would use your word and that you would speak through me. And only you, God, can take one message and personalize it and individualize it for each person. So, God, that's what I would ask, that we would hear clearly from you. Whatever walls we have up, that we would, that, that you would crash through the walls and really speak to our heart. I thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, have you ever had a Christmas that didn't feel like Christmas? Have you ever had that happen before? Maybe for some of you it was like last year, right? Just didn't feel quite like Christmas. I, I think for me, um, I, we've had some of those Christmases. But for, for me, the one that sticks out in my mind is 11 years ago. 11 years ago, we were just in the infancy phase stage of launching this church. My wife and I had moved here, really didn't know anybody yet. And uh, like the Virgin Mary, she was great with child. Uh, our son Oliver, we didn't know we were having a boy at the time, but our son Oliver, uh, she was in the final weeks of pregnancy. And because, uh, I mean, it's just given me so much appreciation for the Bible and what Mary had to go through, because, because in those, those final <laughs> weeks of pregnancy, everything was more difficult. So we weren't going to travel because uh, that was probably not going to be wise. And, you know, we weren't really buying a lot of gifts because we were going to have to get some baby stuff. And we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl at the moment. So we're just going to hold off on that. You know, we didn't even get big gifts for each other because we knew she was going to have a C-section. And we we're going to have the surgery to, to pay for. So we were just keeping, it, just keeping it low key. My family was not in town. We weren't traveling to see her family. There, there were no big meals. No, none of our fam familiar traditions um, even like, if you know my wife, you know the script, we only had one tree up. I refer to this as the good old days. So we had one tree because it was too much work to do all the decorations. So our house was not decked out and it was just, it was Christmas, but it didn't really feel like Christmas. It was just kind of, just kind of bare bones. It was the first time we, we deviated from, from some of our big traditions, no family. No travel, 
No big meal, no, no big gifts, no, no tradition. Almost like John's gospel when you think about it. Void of some of the elements that we usually associate with Christmas. No manger, no shepherds, no wise men, no angel. And sometimes being absent of the things that you're used to is exactly what this season feels like. So sometimes even life can feel a little bit bare bones. That's what it would have been like for Ezekiel. I don't know if you know about Ezekiel, but Ezekiel was this Old Testament priest and prophet who was living in exile in Babylon. And being in exile meant that nothing was normal. The familiar traditions he grew up with would have seemed like a distant memory at this point because Ezekiel, along with the other Israelites, were refugees in a strange land. What that meant is that they had been taken captive. They were now living in Babylon. And this experience caused them to question their faith in God. And sometimes pressure will do that in your life. So sometimes when what you experience isn't what you expect, the unmet expectation can lead to despair. And for the Israelites, it seemed as if God hadn't kept his promises. Because for the Israelites, they, they had believed that they were going to be living in the promised land. And at one point, they had lived in the promised land. They, they thought they were going to have a king and be a great nation. At, at one point, they were. But if you know the Bible history, the text, things didn't really work out that well for them. See, what had happened was they had rejected God. They had turned their back on God. And so God, being a love God, gave them the fruit of their decision. He gave them what they wanted. And by going their own way, they ended up being taken captive by the Babylonians. And being captive, they, they, they weren't slaves like in the Exodus, like when they were in, in Egypt. It wasn't like that. They were free to start businesses. They were free to go to school. They were free to worship. But it wasn't the same. There was no temple. The, their land had been ravaged. And nothing was like it used to be. And in the absence of familiarity, God gives Ezekiel a message. And what's interesting is whenever God would give a prophet a message, in the Bible you always see it referred to as a word. A word. A, a, a word from God. That's why John doesn't take time to explain what he means when he starts out his gospel. He, he doesn't say in the beginning Christ. He doesn't say in the beginning the Lord. He doesn't even say in the beginning Jesus. He just says, in the beginning, the word, with no explanation of what he's talking about. Now, whenever you see like a term used in scripture without explaining what it means, you can infer that the audience wouldn't have needed an explanation. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. And for the Jews of his day, they would have known. Because whenever they heard the phrase, the word, they associate with all these Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel were over and over again. You read, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. The, the word of the Lord came. And when you see that phrase, it's simply God revealing himself, his person, his nature, his character, his will, his wisdom, and his truth. So when John says the word, it's talking about the very nature and character of God. And it's the same word that comes to Ezekiel and gives him an interesting message. See, Ezekiel has this vision. 
is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. And in his vision, he says this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that as you go into this holiday season, you are going to be surrounded by deadbeats and boneheads. That's not where I'm going with this text. But I, I, I do want to submit to you that this scripture is a very powerful case study in the power of what's around us. Because the truth is, you'll either let your environment affect you or you will affect your environment. See, Ezekiel has this vision, but it's really a picture of his current reality. And so what I want to do in the time we have left is I, I want to take God's word to Ezekiel and give you a very practical step that you can take as you close out this year and look to the next one. Here's your assignment. It's very simple, very focused, very direct, very doable. I'm going to challenge you to get as focused as you can. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody here to seek God for one specific word that will define and direct your year to come. One word. One word that you can declare over the dry bones and dead zones that you encounter. And I'll give you three quick reasons. They're all found in our main text, John chapter 1, verse 14. Because when John talks about the word, Jesus, he talks about this word that became flesh, made his dwelling among us. He says this, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one, the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The first thing I want you to know is that but by choosing a word, declaring it over your life, the word brings grace. The word brings grace. See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has grace for your mistakes. He's got grace for your mistakes. He's got grace for your sin, grace for the areas where you fall short, grace for the areas where you don't measure up. And part of why I want to encourage you to seek God these remaining weeks as we close out the year is because a word can be a reminder of God's grace on your life. Meaning that there are going to be some things that don't go as planned next year. There are going to be some situations you find yourself in that are, are disappointing. But God's word, the word, can come and strengthen you where you're at. See, in, in Ezekiel's prophecy, <laughs> this vision that he has where the flesh comes on the bones where the bones begin to be covered with muscle and tissue and sinew and tendons and skin. It's really a picture of God's grace. Because just as the flesh covers the bones, God's grace covers you. It covers your sin. 
It covers your shame. It covers the places where you mess up. It covers the gaps that you can't complete. That's what grace is. Grace is a covering. But I want you to notice the flesh doesn't come automatically. It doesn't happen just because God wills it or Ezekiel wants it. It only comes with a word. A word from the Lord. It doesn't happen automatically. And there, there's something about having a word for your year that brings a supernatural grace for every space and place that you step into. Where you can trust that God is fulfilling his promise even when it looks like you're surrounded by a valley of dry bones. Even when what you see isn't like the picture that you imagine, you can trust that God is forming your future. Because one word from God can breathe life into a dead situation. That's what grace is. But it's not just grace, it's also truth. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. The word declares truth. The word declares truth. What I love about Jesus is that he's not just full of grace, he's also full of truth. He wasn't the balance of grace and truth. Because anytime you try and balance something, you lose a little bit in the process. He never turned down the grace, but he never watered down the truth. And I want to be clear, like when I'm telling you to get a word for the year, this isn't like a verse in the Bible, right? It's not like, you know, First Confessions 2.1 says, get a word for the year, thus saith the Lord. It's not like that. It's not like a Bible verse thing. But it is a biblical thing. Seeking God is biblical. Hearing from God is biblical. Trusting God is biblical. Believing God is biblical. All I'm trying to do is, is flesh this out for you a little bit. I'm just trying to give you a practical handle on how you can seek God, hear from God, and trust him in the coming year. Because when you get a word, it's a declaration of truth over your life. Let, let me just tell you how I've used this in my own life and in the, in the church's life. Because I've been doing this for a while now. And, and I remember like one of the first times we did it. It was the, when we started this church, I was bivocational, of course, and, and I, I really felt clearly that God had spoke to me about I was supposed to leave the job that I was working at the time, put my trust in him that, you know, the church is going to be able to provide for, for me and my family as we stepped out on this. And, and my word that year was provision. And that's exactly what happened. I, I remember one year I felt like... Uh, God had some things where he wanted us to, to grow and advance. And, and my word was advance. And that was the year we went from one service to, to two. And you know, I think we were you know, three, three or four years in at the time. Uh, th there, there's been different things in my life. Like, like last year in 2020, uh, my word, I didn't know it was going to be this way, but my word was family. I wanted, wanted to focus on family. And who, who would have thought that when I had more travel planned than ever before. And everything ended up getting shut down. That's exactly what God allowed me to do, is to focus on, on family. There's different things that can happen, but see, here's what's going to happen in your life. Is that it's going to create a focus over whatever happens that God can breathe into your situation to help direct your decisions and guide your life. See, there's quite a contrast between what God says he's able to do and what Ezekiel sees in his current situation. But just like God told Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones, 
I want your words to be a declaration over your situation. You know, sometimes you got to stop talking about what you see and start speaking to what you see. I, I found that most of us are, are really good at describing our bare bones situation. We're, we're really good at giving the context and giving the circumstances and coming up with definitions and, you know, purveying all the, all the problems, describing what's wrong in our lives. But God places the prophet Ezekiel in the middle of this valley. He says, I don't want you to speak about what you see. I want you to speak about what I've said. That's the power of a word. It's the difference between describing a problem and declaring a promise. So, so, so let me help you out with this. This is what's going to happen. You're going to pray. You're going to seek God. You're going to trust God. And God is going to bring a word to you. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be trust. Maybe it's going to be peace. Maybe it's going to be joy. Maybe it's going to be discipline. Maybe it's going to be truth. God's going to speak a word to you. And when you get that, that's going to put confidence in you. Because now you've heard from God. And if you can hear from God a word, you can hear from him about the other decisions that you need to make next year. You can hear from him about the other things you're going to run into. You can hear from him about the other things that you're going to encounter. Now you've got confidence about what you're going into. Suddenly you've got spiritual momentum in your life. And you take that one word, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to take that one word, and then you're going to go to Google, not Yahoo or Bing. Does anybody even use it? You're going to go to Google. And you're going to type in there, patience in the Bible, peace in the Bible, trust in the Bible. And you are going to get more verses than you ever knew were in the Bible, all right. And you're going to, these are all going to come up. You're going to go through them and you're going to read them. And as you read through them, there's going to be one that's going to speak to you. That's going to be your verse for the year. And then you're going to take that and you're going to get it tattooed on your arm. <laughs> Just, you know, make sure you like it. Are you going to, you know, write it on your mirror? Are you going to put it on your fridge? Are you going to make, type a note in your phone and take a screenshot of it and put it as the wallpaper of your phone so that now every day you've got God's word in front of you. Every day you've got God's grace in front of you. Every day you've got God's truth in front of you. Suddenly, as you're going about your year, you're focusing on what God has for you. So, What's God's word for you? Because the word brings grace. The word declares truth. But can I tell you, the word is also personal. The word's personal. What I love about John is that even though his Christmas story might be free of details, it's not detached. He makes it personal. Because while the Jews would have understand the word to have been the character and nature of God. See, there were two audiences. There were also the Gentiles. The New Testament was written in Greek, and so <laughs> the Greek word here for the word is logos. You've probably heard of that before. And in, in Greek thought, Greek philosophy, Greek religion, the logos was believed to be the title given to the creative force, the, the ordering, intelligent mind of the universe. That's why when John starts out, he says, in the beginning was the word. He was in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that was made. Speaking to that Greek thought, 
But he doesn't stay there. What he's stating is that this logos is not some impersonal power. The logos is not some kind of floating principle of reason. The logos is a person. He was with God. He always was God. He says, through him, without him, his dwelling, his glory, to emphasize the fact that Jesus is a personal God. He cares about the details of your life. That's why your words should be personal to you. No one else has to get it. It doesn't have to make sense to them, but it should matter to you. Because a word from God can change your life. A word from God can change your world. I like the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. The writer of Hebrews, when he's talking about the word, when he's talking about Jesus, he says this. He's the reflection of God's glory and the exact likeness of his being. He holds everything together by his powerful word. He's a personal God. And he can hold your world together with one word. Because he is the word. He is the word made flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Christmas because of all the traditions that we usually associate with it. The manger, and the shepherds, and the angels, the star. All those things are great. What we're really celebrating is the word made flesh. It's funny because I told you that Christmas story of our Christmas, how nothing was familiar. We didn't have any of the typical traditions that we were used to. But the reality is that was the year we started some new traditions of our own. And there might be some things about your Christmas season that are abnormal. There might be some places and things that you go into that you prefer you didn't have to deal with. It might be something that's different this year for the first time, different people's houses, somebody not there, hardship that you had to endure. But maybe in the absence of some of the old tradition, maybe this can be a new tradition for you. That when you seek God for a word for your life, a word for your world, that it can be a reminder that he sent the word into your world because he's a personal God and he cares about you.